1: 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6
0: on 630 Chad. This report brought to you by Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, visit crystalglass.ca. <laughs>
1: home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630
2: Chad. The is now an Edmonton Oilers. 34-year-old left winger, one-year deal, $1.1 million. Add a little bit of depth, a little bit on the PK. You can get more on 630Chet.com. This is Inside Sports. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. We were talking about video stores earlier on the show. Uh, This texter says, I rented me, myself, and Irene from Rogers Video. I never returned it, and then they shut down. Well, that's one way to avoid late charges. Just outweigh the existence of the store. Uh, And Jordy texting in, he says, Hey, Reed, I heard you comment the other day that Dominique Wilkins was a slightly better athlete than you, but I disagree because I heard you could work over a golf ball pretty good when you're on the course. Love the show, and I remain one of your loyal 10 fans. That is from uh, Jordy. Well, Jordy, thanks for the positive vibes about my golf game. As I often say over the last year, I have improved from terrible to bad which I guess is an improvement. Uh, working over a golf ball, the phrase Jordy used. I guess so, because I can, I can work it over straight in a, straight behind a tree. I can make that golf ball suffer. No fair way for you. You're going in the water. How do you like that, Mr. Titleist? <laughs> you can text 630-630-780-496-0063. Hey, it's been a great week at uh, West Edmonton Mall. They've been having the Brick Invitational. Hockey tournament, and the director of that tournament joins us on the show once again. It is Andy Wakeston. Andy, I know you're incredibly busy. Thanks for making time for me. How are you doing, man?
1: Uh, Just great. I mean, fantastic. What a week. I was just getting some stats here, and we had, it was the parity is really, really, really tight. We had six overtime games and 14 one goal games.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. That's pretty good.
1: And the round robin, is there still one more game to go? There is one more game in Boston and Team California, but uh, sorry, Team California, Montreal, but it abs- absolutely means nothing. Everything else has been done, oh. so it's uh, neither one of those teams are going to be in the playoffs. So it's uh, it's sort of a-, a final game in the round robin, but. It doesn't have any any rep, any bearing on the uh, on the on the finish.
2: Okay, before we look ahead to the weekend, because I know there are a couple of teams that have been extremely impressive all week. Uh, tell us a little bit about Team Brick Alberta. I know they went two three and one. I was updating some scores when they were playing during the show, and uh, man, oh man, they were a bounce or two for maybe turning that record around,
1: eh? They had two one nothing games that they lost, and it was just it was it was it amazing i talked to the coaches and it was amazing they uh really good team solid defensively really solid goaltending it just couldn't score goals and that's that's what happened so they were in every game they weren't blown out they're in every game but just really really struggled to score goals and you know in this in, in this tournament if you don't if you can't put two or three behind uh, behind the behind the goalie you're not going to make it. So, uh, really nice team. Um, you know, I, I thought that I thought that everything went really well for them, and they're pretty happy with how they performed. But just didn't have a goal scorer.
2: Yeah, that's tough. Those one nothing losses, I I, yeah. I saw those and I was like, oh man, that's gonna that's gonna be tough. But uh, they played hard. It's a 14 team tournament, and it's you know it's the best 10 year olds you can find. So it's it's tough to get through. So we got BC. The Junior Canucks went six and and0 in uh, in the Styles Conference. The Wakeston Conference, obviously named after you. The Toronto Bulldogs went six and and0 but they still got a little bit of work to do, right? Because we got semis first and then the final.
1: Yeah, they both go right to the semi. So um, uh, in the first final tomorrow morning at 7.30, we've got the Connecticut Junior Rangers versus Toronto Pro Hockey. And the winner of that one will go down and play BC Junior Canucks. And at 9.10, we've got the Detroit Red Wings versus Team Minnesota. And the winner of that one will go at 3.50 against the Toronto Bulldogs.
2: Okay, so the advantage of winning your pool is you only have to play one day, one game tomorrow. But the quarterfinal right. team's, gonna right. have to the teams have to play two, and the uh, other teams have to play two.
1: And I mean, there's a gap in there of a few uh, about two and a half, three hours, so there, there is a break. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot easier if you uh, if you win your division. Okay. And both of these teams went, you know, both these teams went uh, went straight through with uh, flying colors, didn't lose a game, six and
2: zero. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, Bulldogs, 36 goals, 4-9 against. Oh, BC, 27-4, 6 against.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's incredible. <laughs> so uh, obviously, I, I would assume, I mean, there are high-end players on, on every team. Um, what would it be safe to say with these teams that, that separated a little bit? Is it just the depth? Or maybe there are a couple of high-end guys that have really propelled them.
1: Um, I think with Toronto Bulldogs, they've got they've got one exceptional, exceptional player. Uh, uh, and Mike Mesa, just an amazing player. Um, but they also have uh, a backup to him with about two really solid lines. And uh, they're a real solid team. BC, just a solid team all the way through. And just they just play you hard. And they're always, you know, they push all the time. Both teams had excellent goaltending. You know, Just uh, it's that whole team team vibe, right? And, um, and then, I mean, we saw the same thing. Detroit went undefeated right up until...
2: Um, until today, until they paid BC, you know? All right. So it's, it's really tight. Andy Wakeston, the tournament director for the brick invitational, joining us on inside sports as you did last week, because we wanted to tee it up. I, I asked you a little bit about how it's changed with the American teams over the years. I want to ask you about another change you've maybe seen because you've been involved all, all 28 years. Um, in, just in terms of the of the quali- the caliber of the athlete. I mean, hockey always grows, strategies progress, equipment progresses, and obviously the training and the commitment level of the players progress. So if, would you say we've seen these 10-year-old kids, you know, are they bigger, are they stronger, are they maybe not the same size, but it's just the skill level? How do you compare them to the athlete of, a, you know, a quarter of a century ago already?
1: All of the above. When we first started this, I mean it was like I said before it was eight teams and three of them were from Alberta and two of them were from British Columbia but it was eight teams and you know they each brought up like a couple of coaches and a manager and that was it now we see they come with trainers they come with assistant coaches they come with assistant managers you know they come fitness people right and it's just these, these kids are unbelievable athletes, and you look at them. And you know, read yourself. You've been here. You look at them. These kids don't look like ten-year-olds. Right? They're, they're 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 talented. They're big. I was handing out some trophies yesterday, and uh, I, had, I had I'm I'm five foot eight. This kid was the same height as me. Oh, jeez. Ten years old, right? And just <laughs> it's just amazing how they've how they how the, the progressed. And I think that back when we started, this was ten-year-olds uh, were novice, and they were second year novice and even at at that level uh goaltenders for instance you you didn't play golf all year you were sort of rotated in and out at the novice level and i I remember i was coaching in short park back then we didn't allow novice kids to play goal all year because we wanted they they couldn't commit to that now full-time goalies and they've been playing for three years and they're ten years old so the, the whole philosophy of this has changed um there's lots of there's the thing called the brick series i mean there's tournaments going on all summer and all spring and all summer with the with the uh, eight-year-olds nine-year-olds and ten-year-olds getting them ready for things like this so i I think it's really come a long way in 28 years
2: yeah andy wakeston joining us talking about the brick invitational okay so you got the quarters and the semis tomorrow so people can check that out and then sunday tell because i know there's the final sunday and is the skills thing with the golden bears sunday as well
1: yeah, we have this unique event for all the all the players or all the teams that are not in the final. So the the other twelve teams, um, we have what's the Golden Bears Skills Competition. So the U of A Golden Bears, the winningest varsity team in Canada, come out. They bring about thirteen of their guys, fourteen of their guys, and they run a skills competition for two hours, starting at nine o'clock uh, on Sunday morning. It's a great event. So come and grab a coffee. And just sit and watch it it's a lot of fun there's fastest skater hardest shot there's the uh, the obstacle course it's just it's just a hoot and then that goes at nine and then at twelve we've got the final and then the closing ceremonies after the final
2: all right well it's you know what i got a question on the text line i think i know the answer but you're the expert so i'll ask you uh the texter says can you ask andy if there is body contact allowed in this tournament and if so have the rules about that changed over the years
1: we do not allow, this is a non-contact tournament, okay. and the reason is because um, we feel, and we always felt, that at this level, we didn't want some kid being knocked out of the tournament after, I mean, they came a long way, we just wanted to make sure that it was safe. So we made it a non-contact tournament. Now, some of these teams, I know that there's no contact on the Canadian teams, but a lot of these American teams play in full t- contact leagues, but there's no contact but based on uh, on the on the rules by the the Canadian hockey rules, you can you know move somebody out of the way, or you can you know taper them off. You just can't hit them. Right. So we we, we play that rule. All of our referees are you know Western Canada college, uh, the higher end referees. They know the they know the rules. But yeah, there is no contact. no, no, like no straight up hitting in this. Okay, yeah, because I
2: think, there like you said, it's not necessarily, there can be different regions or rules,
1: right, but you have to go with something for the tournament. Andy, thanks. Yeah, and this rink, rink, I mean, the boards are set in concrete, right? This rink isn't geared for running up against the boards. There's no giving them at all. Kids would get hurt.
2: Yeah, good point. Andy, thanks for checking in. I I really appreciate the update. It's going to be fun uh, seeing what happens in the playoffs over the weekend. You've done a great job again, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Ray. Thanks for having me. Andy Waxton checking in. The tournament director for the Brick Invitational. And, uh, yeah, as he mentioned, the BC Junior Canucks and the Toronto Bulldogs both undefeated in their pools. We'll see if they survive the semifinals. Team Brick, Alberta, some tight games. They wound up going 2-3-1. They finished fourth in their 17 pool. It 7:16. I want to catch up on some text to 6-30-6-30. The phone number is 780 49 We'll also hear from the head groundsman at Wimbledon, who is from Stony Plain? Pretty incredible story. Inside Sports on Chad.
0: Hi, this is Ryan Eugene Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 6:30. Chad.
2: What's this one, Kellen? Tonight you're surfing with the alien. Joe Satriani. All right. Which is appropriate, because we have a text. It's like you can read the minds of our texters, Kellen Kennedy. This person says, hi, Reid. I would love to hear some Satriano's intro music, in- intro music sometime. So there we go. Maybe we'll play another one later on. Sure. What's stopping us? Nothing. It's Friday. It's Friday at 630, Chet. We're the only ones in the building. Let's turn this well, there's Friday. couple news guys here. Let's turn this Friday into a Friday. What are they gonna do? What are they gonna do? Come back from the bosses are gonna come back from the lake and tell us not to play fun music? I think not. What if we just stay on till midnight playing all the music we want? Who's gonna stop us? Kel is actually considering
0: that. Yeah. <laughs>
2: actually, you're th- thinking, like, somebody might be able to stop us.
0: <laughs> actually, we got a station event tomorrow, the uh, Ched Retro Days Car Show at Northlands. Are you going? And, uh, it's on the way down, so I might. Uh, I got to come in and do some stuff here tomorrow night, so I might stop in and take a boo and see, see what that happens. that
2: sounds mysterious, so I got to come in and do some stuff.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what? Like, what? What? What are you, building a time machine in the basement. Yeah. But that's the day every year that they uh, <laughs> revert the radio station back to what it was in the '70s and play all the good old hits. Bruce Bally's going to be okay, hosting. Okay, so Down. it goes
2: back to what it was in the '70s. So it's uh, got Bob Layton, yeah, uh, Brian Hall, yeah, <laughs> Bruce Bowie. I guess I guess uh, they Brian Hall was at uh, well when I was a kid listening to the Eskimos games. Mm-hmm. I believe they were on uh, CJCA. Okay, I so think You're
0: older than I am. I've <laughs> I I am. I started listening to Chad. I'm older than S-call most games people on today. Chad, so, yeah,
2: yeah. I'm probably older than half the people on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> don't count yourself. Well, out. I'm slightly past middle age, so logic <laughs> would dictate. Okay. Uh, <laughs> frustrated fan texting in. Oh wait, I got to read this other one first from the guy who requested Satriani who says, I'm the guy who last year kept bringing up the two-point conversion issue in the CFL. I still think it makes sense to go for it every time and the amount of missed converts this season, I feel, makes my point. Anyway, thought I'd throw it out there again. Feel free to ignore it if it doesn't fit tonight's topics. Love the show. Blockbuster is a huge part of all of our pasts. Alright, well that's an excellent text. I'm not going to ignore it. And I would say to that person, I, I would agree. I, I mean, it's 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 from the three-yard line now, right? It's You should be able to gain three yards in the CFL or even in the NFL. Well, in the NFL, it's from the two, isn't it? You should be able to gain two or three yards, depending on the league, uh, most of the time. And I would I would th- I would think you could make a two point convert from three yards two thirds of the time. I think I'd like to say three quarters, but let's conservatively say two thirds of the time. You could run or pass for three yards. I, I think the reason coaches don't do it is because they don't want to chase that point. And sometimes the safe decision is what coaches lean towards and they don't go for two until they absolutely have to. But I but I, I agree with that. If each team has two touchdowns and you convert both two-point converts and the other guy kicks his single, you're ahead by two points. If no one scores the rest of the game, you win. If you go 50%, you're still tied 14-14. So I, I, I I would tend to go for it, but I think... I think coaches don't want to miss and then wind up chasing the point and, and be behind and then be asked after the game, why did you go for that two point convert five minutes into the game? But, but I, I agree. I would be aggressive with it. Calgary's actually been one of the more aggressive teams with it over the, over the couple of years that they've had it. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting, and I, if I would, I, I had stats on it when we talked about it last year. So that texture, I don't have, uh, I don't have all the, the, the stats for it and what they were last year, but it would be interesting to know. Uh, Calgary is up 9 nothing, by the way, so I think they must have missed a convert, because they were up 3 nothing and got a touchdown, and I didn't see if they missed a kick or if they were stopped on a two-point convert. But but it is a, it is a very interesting debate. I would I would tend to go for it. The Eskimos did convert a two-point convert on uh, when was the game? Saturday, or last was it Friday? It was last Friday against Montreal. And Kellen, as you know, because you were watching the game, mm-hmm. They were up by five, and then you want to go up by seven. So that's a case where they and it was in it was getting into the fourth quarter. There was about ten minutes left. They went up by five. So in that case, even if it was the old rules where it was from the five, they still would have gone for it because you want to be up by seven. Correct. Yes. So the other team has to get a touchdown and a and a single convert. To tie the game, as opposed, to if you're up by six, you go behind if they get a converted touchdown. It, it's an interesting, it's an interesting debate. And they moved it to the three, so more teams would go for two. But I don't think that it's happening as often as, as, uh, as the league would have liked. I also wonder if there's something to it too, if the defensive team stops a two-point convert, if that, if the momentum, you know, if a, if the offensive coach doesn't want to risk. With global- if they don't want to risk the uh you know the momentum going to the defense where the defense would still end that drive on a successful play even though they gave up a touchdown you know what I mean like oh we just gave up a touchdown oh but we then we made a stop so they didn't get that too maybe there's something to that as well uh yes some people are saying it was cJCA that Halsey was on with the Eskimos games Frustrated Fan says, read two questions. I missed the last interview, but did they harden up the swimming pool for the tournament? Okay, Frustrated Fan, that's called, we call it freezing, not hardening up. You don't harden up water. You freeze it. I love Frustrated Fan. He's such a cheeky son of a gun. Did they harden up the swimming pool? (laughs) I'm going to make some ice cubes here. Better harden up the water. They play at the Ice Palace, frustrated fan. And it's called the water park, not the swimming pool. Uh, how is uh, Jones doing for the Riders? Again, I'm okay with him gone from the Eskimos. That is from frustrated fan. His two points for the evening. Uh this texture says Brian Hall had the points after show after the Eskimos game. I was 12 years old that had never called a radio station and was nervous, but I ha- had a question. so I got the nerve up, I phoned Brian's show and asked the question, and his response was, "Are you some kind of stupid?" <laughs> that's a, that's a, I shouldn't laugh. That's, that's horrible. Brian Hall scarred you. Well, I don't know. Was, was it a stupid question? I mean be honest, looking back now. Oh, my goodness. This is a fun show. Maybe we will go for six hours. What we're going to do is, uh, I'm going to be honest with you here, it it is a bit of a rerun, but it's it's worth it because it was one of the most popular interviews we did. And it's with the head groundsman at Wimbledon, and he's from Stony Plain. So we're going to replay parts of that. His name is Grant Canton because Wimbledon is going on right now. So he's working extremely hard. We'll get to that when we get back. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 630 Chet.
1: This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630
2: Chet. All right, touchdown for Winnipeg, 9-6 Calgary, leading with the point after or... Two points after still to come. Six minutes left in the second quarter there. 9-6 for Calgary. Blue Jays getting crushed 12-1. They trail Houston in the eighth. FC Edmonton playing tonight over at Clark. They trail Carolina 1-0 about half an hour into that game. FC Edmonton has lost their last four games, and they have all ended 1-0. And uh, they're down 1-0 tonight. Hopefully they can get over the hump. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Inside Sports on 630 Chet at 734. Yakushev, who has... uh, proven himself over the years to be one of, if not the most consistently humorous texture to inside sports. Writing in tonight, he says, Reed, can you ask Kellen Kennedy what or who is hotter today? The temperature or Sigourney Weaver? Always Sigourney. There you go, Yakishev. No doubt about it. He did not hesitate. All right. So, Wimbledon going on at London and the head groundsman at the All England Tennis Club is Grant Canton, who is from Stony Plain, uh, had a great interview with him when he was uh, in Edmonton uh, over the winter, and I want to get to parts of that because he was it was really incredible, and we started off by talking about him being you know, from Stony Plain and uh, making it to this incredible job.
0: It's kind of a funny story, you know, I uh, grew up in Stony Plain, went to high school there and made the big move to Spruce Grove, and once I... Uh finished my time in Spruce, I moved down to Calgary and I really got into golf. I loved golf and uh, started working on a golf course there. And I was always amazed at how immaculate the courses were kept, how the greens were absolutely perfect, just like carpet. So that's what got me interested in uh, turf management. So I uh, enrolled in Olds College and did my two year turf management program there. And the day after graduation, me and my two buddies decided we uh, were going to move to Australia and worked on a very good course there. Absolutely loved it. And it was there I met a couple British guys, and they, uh, they kind of planted the seed, so to speak, about maybe going to London and working at Wimbledon. Uh, at the time, I wasn't sure. Tennis wasn't really my thing. But I figured, you know what, if I could get over to London, what a great gateway, what a great hub to travel Europe. Sure. So it was, uh, it was, I was only going for one year back in 2002. Absolutely fell in love with the place. And uh, the next year they offered me back, and uh, yeah, this year will be my 16th year.
2: That is incredible. So that's that's the Cole's Notes version of how a, a kid from Stony Plain—you probably still see yourself that way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, can can wind up working at, at one of the—I uh, mean, look—if somebody said to me, name the five most famous venues in the world in, in any sport, any continent i put wimbledon i mean augusta would obviously come to mind msg where the rangers i certainly put wimbledon i mean do you still have pinch yourself moments going to work every day
0: you know what I, I i try to walk the courts every morning and every day i go into center court whether it's in the summer or in the winter and i just sometimes just go in there all by myself it's completely empty and i just think wow this is such a great opportunity i, I still feel very privileged and honored to work there um, but everybody knows Wimbledon. I've been all over the world, and everybody knows Wimbledon. They know it's tennis in England, and it's just one of those, you know, you don't have to be a tennis fan, but they know what it is. It's the most prestigious, most historic, I would say, sporting event. Augusta comes second in my books, but it's only a four-day event. Where yeah. Wimbledon? Wimbledon's a 13-day event. So it's uh, it's one of the biggest tournaments, annual sporting events in the world.
2: Well, this is incredible. So you go to old college. Olds called turf management was the course you took. Yep. So 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 then you get the chance to to go to London work at Wimbledon. So how do you how do you prove yourself in, in your industry that, that you can you know, work at Wimbledon and, and and keep these courts in immaculate condition? What do you have to do to separate yourself from other guys and, and, and girls who want to do the same thing?
0: That's a good question. And when I do my speeches to uh, students and uh, whoever I'm speaking to, I always say, you know, there's book smarts, but you learn pretty much everything in the field. To the young guys that are coming into work I say look always ask questions ask the mechanic a question ask the irrigation guy a question let's pretend you have to run this place by yourself you should be able to know how to do everything you know and I always remember my dad He'd uh, he'd get us out of bed early on Sunday mornings to cut our grass I absolutely hated it but looking back, he always taught me, be the first guy to work, be the last one to leave, make an impression on the boss, and you will go places. And, uh, and, and in my case, that's true. I've, I've always worked hard. I always stayed late. I didn't say pay me overtime. I just stayed till the job was done, wanting to be there. And whatever job I did, I knew my name was behind it. So I wanted to prove that that's my handiwork. And, you know, people are happy with the courts. And uh, it's just a pride thing, really. So, how long were you a deputy a deputy groundsman? I was deputy head groundsman from two thousand and eleven until January first this year.
2: And now you're the guy. You're the head groundsman. So, how did, did the, the previous person leave, or is it like uh, no?
0: What happened? It was more of a title change because okay. uh, Neil Stubbley, who was head groundsman, is now grounds manager, and he looks after a lot of the other. He oversees a lot of the other venues. He's, he'll go to Germany, he'll go to the Netherlands, uh, Turkey, all these other countries to check on their courts. So he's not around a whole bunch. And when he is, he's always in meetings. So pretty much this last year, I've, I've taken charge of that role of looking after the grass courts. I've got a crew of 30 guys. So this, this year, or sorry, 2016, I basically took over the whole program and uh, then uh, then as January 1st they uh, made me head groundsman okay so
2: uh, Grant Canton joining us uh, head groundsman at Wimbledon so here's the here's my maybe stupid question for you the tournament what is it in July two weeks in July yep. what happens the other 50 weeks there
0: that's another question I get asked a lot it is a private members club mm-hmm. so after the after the actual event the courts are open for members play there's a lot of inter club tournaments so our members will play other members from different clubs it's quite funny because people like Roger Federer Nadal Djokovic Andy Murray they're all eligible to play for Wimbledon's club so they could go around and pretty much clean everybody <laughs> but they don't they're obviously playing different So if different you've
2: won the tournament you get to be a member of the club that's correct okay
0: yeah but there's a uh, we're very busy and uh, after the tournament we'll slowly start taking some of the courts out we always start with center court then number one court We take off every blade of grass back to the soil, and we regrow the quartz every single year. And we have 40 grass quartz, and it's a heck of a lot of work. And we have to get this done before winter kind of creeps in. That ryegrass needs to be grown in the the previous autumn for the next summer. Because
2: is the, is it shut down now the club or can you still use is the weather good enough you can still use it a little bit?
0: No, the grass courts are closed okay. from uh, end of September. But it doesn't snow there, does it? It I mean, does once I, in a while. It does a little bit, okay. It, it, but we don't want anybody on the grass. You know, it's, right? Uh, okay. It, it needs time to. It, it basically goes dormant. It goes to bed.
2: So 40 courts are they are are they all used for Wimbledon? Yep, they are. Right. Eh? Uh, okay. So center court. That's the the big one. And that's gets covered now. Isn't it a retractable? There's a retractable roof on it. Yep. But, but so once, it, when, when Wimbledon's not going on, it could be like 215 15-year-olds that are part of the club playing.
0: Well, that court, the, that court is only used for the two weeks. That's only used for the tournament. And okay. I, and I, and I was and curious and about I that. And I love that because it keeps it special. Not everybody gets to go on there just players and our ground staff are basically the only people allowed to walk on the hallowed turf and i look at that grass as the most important and famous piece of grass in the world.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Well, th- this is fascinating stuff because this is a whole side of, of sports and tennis that we, we wouldn't think about. So when when the tournament is on, i mean i'm guessing you 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 probably don't sleep because i mean when we see you you can watch on tv and see how the courts will you probably hate this word, but deteriorate is that the right word? Just yeah, from from, yeah, the, from the usage and the and the patches from where the players are always running yeah. get worn down. So, what are the challenges to maintaining it when you might have what three four matches a day on each court?
0: Those tennis courts will have more play on them in two weeks than a soccer field will in two years. Like, oh, like in the, like in the English Premier League, it's a, it's it's a very 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 tough job. We have to make sure those courts are prepared correctly because they have 13 days of tennis on them, roughly eight, nine hours a day. If we can get to day 13 men's final and the court is still in relatively pretty good shape, I mean, the baselines are pretty much gone. We expect that. Mm-hmm. But we want to make sure those baselines don't look like that after seven days. So we have to monitor the courts every day. We'll have our hardness readings every day. We all will know exactly how hard the courts are. Uh, every night the courts do get a little bit of drink of water it's just like you and me it needs water from time to time mm-hmm. and that will help keep the uh the firmness levels where we want them so it's it's monitoring and the weather is our biggest uh biggest problem because yes it could be 25 degrees sunny one day the next day it's 15 degrees and raining 5 degrees difference in temperature plays a huge role and it's a, it makes a complete difference on uh on our prep- uh, preparations so I'm usually there probably 16, 17 hours a day for three weeks straight. Right. So by the end of it all, I'm very, very tired. But you know what? At the end of it, when the trophy's being lifted and the players are all happy with the court, that's that's my trophy. That's job done. Now, are you
2: uh, allowed, or, or maybe this is exactly what you should be doing, but do you do you speak to the players about the quality of the service? Might you have a guy come up to you and say, Grant, this was great, or I don't know about this one today. I mean, what is there an interaction there?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, that's another great part of my job is I get to interact with all the players and you know being there 15 years now you know you get to know him quite well uh, it's exciting that Milos Raonic is coming through the ranks now he's now world number three mm-hmm. very exciting for Canada uh, I said a few years ago I never saw a Canadian flag being waved in centre court but when he was playing it was uh, it was there and I was very proud he's one of the guys I talk to a lot and basically all the players will want to know how's the courts there's anything different you guys done and every year we prepare them exactly the same when Tim Henman was uh, playing, you know, 10 years ago, it was always, well, why don't you make the courts that favor him? It's like, well, we can't. It's, it's they're prepared for, they prepared <laughs> right. the same for everybody. We're not going to change it. So they all know. The player how the has to play. learn how to exactly. play on. Exactly. You know, and, it, and it's fair for everybody, and it's, it's what we do. We wouldn't want to start messing around with how we prepare the courts. We know it's tried and tested. We know what we're doing, and uh, the results are great. So we we stick with it. How long is the grass? It's eight millimeters. Eight? Oh, jeez. Okay. And the golf green is normally two to three millimeters, so okay. it kind of gives you an idea. It's a little bit longer, but in the winter, when the courts are not in use, we'll leave them at thirteen millimeters. That little bit of extra length will help protect them from frost. Oh, okay. The winter weather. Uh, it, it just keeps them a bit longer, a bit more healthier. What's the worst in tournament
2: nightmare you've had
0: to deal with? It's rain.
2: It's just just excessive rain.
0: I mean, even though center court now has a retractable roof. Yeah. Yes, we can carry on playing, but the other 18 courts that we use are covered. We start getting behind in the schedule. Yeah. This past tournament, we had to play on the middle of Sunday, which wasn't ideal, but we had to because so that's usually the off day, right? It's usually the off day, so we had to play, to, you know, to play catch up, and uh, it worked out good. We finished the tournament on time. If Wimbledon had to go an extra day, it's an, a logistical nightmare, not only for the players, but for you know, security, caterers, ticketing, staff, everything, right? ticketing. Yeah. To add the extra day is a complete nightmare so trying to get everything done on time is uh, very very key so what kind of
2: drainage is there for the courts
0: the courts are like a, a, a clay loam soil and uh, the courts actually have about about 2 percent clay in them and when that clay starts to dry off that's that's how the courts get so so rock hard the month before the tournament we'll start covering them anyway so if there's heavy rain forecast we'll cover all the courts blow the big bubbles up uh, but after that, you know if it's a if it's a typical members day and it rains we don't cover and uh, they'll they'll be back in play when they're fit but the courts tend to drain very well some of those courts are almost 100 years old Jeez. and they uh, they drain really well
2: got to say most fascinating conversation i've ever been a part of about grass and dirt and tennis courts grant canton who is from stony plain is the head groundsman at wimbledon it's inside sports on 630 Chet. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. And this portion of the show presented by Action Furnace. Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or it's free. Guarantee. Visit actionfurnace.ca. 10-9, Winnipeg leading Calgary late in the first half. CFL action tonight. Blue Jays trailing Houston 12-1 in the bottom of the 8th. And a little footy over at Clark Park tonight, late in the first half. Carolina leading FC Edmonton 1-0. Of course, Wimbledon in full swing. Grant Canton, Stony Plain native, went on to become the head groundsman at Wimbledon. He uh, sat down with him when he was uh, back home over the winter. And actually, somebody texted in and said, have you ever done anything like sort of a lucky loony like the uh, hockey guys did in Salt Lake City?
0: When Bouchard was uh, in the final a few years ago, (laughs) I actually got pictures of, my buddy took pictures of it. I put a loony in the post socket, then the post goes on top of it. And I'm thinking, if she wins, this would be great. I might get in a little bit of trouble for this. Right. But let's face it, it's a coin in the post socket. But unfortunately, she didn't win, so I didn't, I haven't told many people that story. But I did it. And uh, But I didn't do it this year for Milos, because I figured it might have been bad luck for Jeannie.
2: What was it, uh, so this is, t- was it 2014 she was in the final, or 15? Uh, I think it was 14. 14, and he was in... This
0: year? Last 2016.
2: year, 2016. 16. Yep. 16, yeah, okay, cool. So, uh, Grant. So, I mean, it's funny. You grew up in Stony Plain. I grew up in, in, in Evansburg. Okay. Uh, and I'm 42, so you're probably in, in my ballpark. I'm 42 as well. So there you go. We may have played hockey against each other. At some point, you were probably way better than me if we did. <laughs> uh, so you, so in 2002, you get to move to, to to London, England. You didn't know if you were going to stay there. You wound up you wound up staying there. What, what what was the... I mean, look, it's an English-speaking nation, obviously. But what, what was the big transition for you moving over there?
0: You know, growing up in Stony Plain to moving to London, London, obviously, a huge change. You go from living on the acreage to a full-blown concrete jungle of a city. Uh, London's cool, though. I mean, it, the history there—the thousand-year-old castles, five-hundred-year-old pubs—just uh, the history of the place. And obviously, Wimbledon. You know, it's the current site it's on. They've been there since 1922, so there's a lot of history there. But London is definitely a, a different lap on the racetrack, no question about it. But I've been there 15, 16 years now, so I'm completely used to it. So it's so nice to come back to town people complain about the traffic here i say this is this is not too bad trust me Uh,
2: (laughs) the population density and the traffic must does it still have you shaking your head sometimes
0: a little bit but you know i'm surprised how big spruce grove has gotten stony plain (laughs) is still a little small but let's keep it that way it's a it's a town let's keep it that way um so yeah i love coming home and seeing everything that i remember as a kid the old hockey rinks and uh you know, my dad still lives out of the acreage where I, where I grew up, so it's uh, fantastic. What teams and or sports
2: uh, do you still follow, uh, you know, now that you moved or, or have your interests shifted because you're in a different uh, sporting climate, so to speak?
0: When I first moved to London, obviously, the uh, the whole internet thing wasn't as great to watch Euler games, so I usually listen to them on the radio or just look at the scores. Uh, so I picked up the Premier League f- football, soccer, so to speak, and I, uh, got into that. Uh, But now, obviously, I can watch any hockey game whenever I want with the uh, NHL Game Center and all that. I uh, watch a lot of hockey and a lot less soccer, so... Hockey's a real man sport. You watch these soccer players rolling around, tripping over the wind, and uh, it's kind of embarrassing, especially when there's five cameras on them showing the replay of absolutely nothing happening to them. So, I must admit I've lost a bit of respect for those guys. But yeah, hockey is the number one for me. It always has been.
2: Do you have a lot of people you can? Other Canadians, or do you meet any English people that you can bond with over not, hockey? Not, just, not really. Just there's, uh,
0: there's a couple guys at work that will support a team, but they maybe know one player on the team, so that's not. They just really like the having a
2: pennant up in their. There's a Canadian bar in
0: London called the. Belief. and we used to meet up there for a few beers and chicken wings and watch a few of the games but uh no I like getting home from work and uh, getting in my recliner and watching the Oilers game from the night before because most Oilers games are on at two or three in the morning for me so uh right
2: so can you avoid knowing the result then if it's, you're it's, careful? A, it's a
0: bit tough I obviously got to stay off my phone because uh, people will be right. Facebook and all <laughs> yeah. the other stuff you know there's always the score on that but uh usually I can get home and uh, not know the score which is great all right so
2: you do you follow any other uh, Canadian or Edmonton teams or yeah, athletes uh, yeah, still no
0: I follow the Eskimos been following yeah. them for quite a while I actually you can get their games on the sports channels over in London, which is nice. Oh, good. Yeah. So uh watch the Eskimos, watch the Oilers. Uh, but that's that's pretty much it. You know. But
2: when the Eskimos won the Great Cup, were you just kind of uh, like uh, nobody, stoked. nobody to celebrate with though? You're pretty
0: just like there like me just and, like, and the cats. Yeah, I was uh, trying to call people back home. It's like who's the Eskimos? It's like all right, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs>
2: Uh, all right, Grant. So tell me, I know you're uh, you're in town here for for a while. Uh, when you, so this is this usually time though, where you could take a little bit of time off and get away from the club because of the the weather and its courts are closed down and stuff.
0: Yeah, winter time is a good time for me to go uh, travel back home. Uh, we usually go down to Phoenix. We got a house down in Phoenix, but uh, we're back here now. And but yeah, pretty much from April till. September is kind of a no-go time for me to go on holiday. Right. We're just far too busy, especially with the preparation. And like I said, after the event, we got to basically dig up 40 courts, rebuild them, regrow them, re-level them, get them absolutely perfect going into winter for the following year. So it's a big vicious circle, but I enjoy it. I'm outside every day. Every day is different. get to meet loads of people. How many staff do you have? 30 on my crew. Okay. Uh, Wimbledon in total has probably 200 staff there which doesn't seem like a lot. But during the championships, there's over 7,000 with security, caterers, all of it. So uh, You wanted to tell me, story? we're running short of time. This is great, but tell me the story about the net. Yeah, something I started in 2007 was uh, when Tim Henman retired, I gave him the net from his last ever match. And then I thought, wouldn't it be cool to start giving the players their first, or the net from their first Wimbledon title. So 2008, I, I gave Nadal his. 2010, I gave, or no, sorry, 2011, I gave Djokovic his. 2012, I gave, or no, 2009, sorry, I gave Roger Federer the net, but it wasn't his first one, but it was the one he beat Pete Sampras' record on. Okay. Andy Murray won in 2013, he got it. So uh, I was really hoping to give Raonic his uh, in 2016, but, you know, maybe maybe next year he'll uh, he'll do it. But the players love it because they get the uh, replica trophy, but to have the net that the final was played on, and actually every single match for the whole tournament, is a, it's a great souvenir for him
2: is there ever any and I know you've been there a while now but is there ever any how could a how could a canadian have this hallowed job at an english institution? Do you ever face
0: that? Not really. I mean uh people always ask me why I don't speak english like like with an english <laughs> accent and I said, "Well, why would I? I've always talked like this." Right. <laughs> but uh you know, if they don't look at it as an englishman should have that position, it's the guy suited for the job and uh I'm very honored and very proud. To uh, have this job, I did get my British British citizenship, I think, in about 2009 or 10. So I have the, the dual passports, which is nice to have. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's weird. I'm 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 a uh, that's home for me now at the moment. You know, I'm a I'm a Londoner. It's it's yeah. weird to say, but I mean, one day I will come back here because this is home and I love it here.
2: Uh, what's your favorite thing to eat over there? Like, do they do a steak as well as they do it in Alberta?
0: No. <laughs> I would I would go as far as say. Pretty much any food over there is not as good as anything you can get here. Oh, wow. Yeah. Unless you go to the nice restaurants, which I do once in a while, but, you know, even the the fish and chips we went to before the show here was uh, great. You know, it's taken out. Has Tim Hortons reached London yet? It hasn't. It hasn't. (laughs) I wish it would because they do great coffee and great donuts. (laughs) I see the lineups outside the place, so... uh, it's it's just different over there. You have to pay for parking everywhere you go. There's nowhere to park. It's just it's just different. So I like coming home and Yeah, we're still pretty lucky here. And right? a lot of wide open space. You know, the, the cold weather, I could give it a miss, but you know what? I've not seen winter in six years, so I kind of enjoyed it.
2: That was a great interview. Grant Canton from Stony Plain, now the head groundsman at Wimbledon, so working hard during the tournament. That was an interview we did with him when he was uh, home during the winter. Thanks to our studio producer, Kellen Kennedy. This has been Inside Sports on 630Chad. My name is Reed Wilkins. Hope you have a great weekend.
1: 630Chad, Inside
2: Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630Chad.